Well, welcome back to the Dungeon Master's Block, the place where we come to talk about the Dungeon Master, the most important person in the game, the only person capable of playing God, killing characters, and lowering the egos of all other people at the table. I'm your host for this episode, Dungeon Master Mitch, and I'm really excited because we today are being joined by John Savage of Charisma 20, and we're going to be talking about, me and him together, false religions in fantasy worlds. It's kind of a weird topic that we, I feel like we don't explore this as an option and as something to play out in our fantasy worlds too often because as we'll talk about in the meet, we're placed into this world where very often in these fantasy worlds, the gods are actively interacting with mortals and so nobody questions whether they are real. But we get into some really interesting conversation about religions that can sprout up even in that type of setting that are false religions. It's going to be a great episode. I can't wait to dive in. I can't wait for you to listen to it. But before we do, we have a five-star review coming from Apple Podcasts, and this one is perfect for this episode. It is entitled Atheist to Believer, Five Stars, and it's from Nick Scott 27 Nick Scott says, going on that atheist comment, and I'm not sure exactly what you're referring to, Nick Scott, but I'm sure it's something that we said in, in a previous episode. Um, he says, I have an oath of ancients paladin who was an atheist but accepted the gods were real up until he was petrified by a basilisk where he had a vision talking to Moradin who told him to talk with six other old gods and complete their trials. Well, he later talked to the cleric of Pelor who hasn't had the personal connection yet and it's great seeing the cleric's jealousy yet drive to receive their god's attention and the paladin coming to terms that his oath intertwines him to those gods. Great connection with this topic, in my opinion. So, got a little story from Nick Scott 27 on playing out a paladin character with some interesting features. Thanks so much, Nick Scott, for that five-star review. And with that, let's do it. Let's head into the meat. I'm starving. We ain't had nothing but maggoty bread for three stinking days. Why can't we have some meats? The flight meat back on the menu, boys. So for the meat today, I am really excited um, to introduce to you John Savage, owner and soap maker of Charisma 20 and the DM for the Heretical Heroes actual play. John, welcome to the show. Hey, how you doing, Mitch? Good to uh, good to see you again. I'm doing great. Yes, good to see you again. Uh, I gotta say this up front. Uh, not only is John really awesome, but he's also super understanding and gracious because this is actually the second time he's joined us on the DMB. And if you're listening right now and going, I don't remember ever hearing an episode with John. Unfortunately, that's because John's episode, I guess, was cursed by the podcast gods, right? Um, because we had some technical difficulties and the audio that we recorded got all messed up and uh, it was such a bummer. But John, you were super understanding and willing to come back on the show. 
um, and do another episode with us, which we're thankful for. So it was a good time the first time. So yes, so we get to we just get to do it again. That's like the secret episode that only <laughs> only the <laughs> two of us and Neil yeah. will ever know what that conversation was about. Because um, we are doing a different topic today. But John, for any of our listeners who aren't familiar with you, can you tell us a little bit about yourself? Who is John Savage? I'm just you know your regular. 36 year old DM, got a wife, some kids. Um, I own a soap company. We do uh, class themed soaps. We just released some uh, lotions recently. We've got a couple other things we're working on some shower steamers and some bath bombs. Nice. Um, yeah, the bath bombs I'm excited about. We're going to do spells and they're going to have the dice, the damage dice for the spell inside. That is of fantastic. Yeah. <laughs> Man, that that's super exciting. Yeah, last time you you joined us, you were gracious enough and you uh you sent uh me and Chris um some some soaps uh for us to use and they they're the your soaps are all based on the classes of yep. D&D uh, characters. So I believe I, I was like, all right, Chris, you can have the, the rogue. I'm going to take the wizard cause I'm the wizard guy, but so cool go. what you're doing over at charisma 20. And that's sweet. I love that idea of the bath bombs. That's fantastic. Thanks. Yeah. And I DM, um, on Mondays at 5 PM on Twitch with a, a group of, uh, former coworkers where I'm running a, an Eberron campaign taking place. It's kind of got a jungle slash wild westy kind of vibe to it. So for any of our listeners who want to check that out, they can um, head over to Twitch and search Heretical Heroes and find yep. you there. And for any of our listeners that want to check out those soaps or especially, man, I'm, I'm super excited about those bath bombs. They can go to charisma20.com. Yeah, we do, of course, have a surprise question for you. I'm excited. And so our surprise question uh, today comes from one of our Patreon uh, dragons, uh, Delaney Blair. And Delaney asks, uh, Delaney sets up this scenario and says, you have died and you have been reincarnated. What race would you wish to come back as and why? Mm, that's that's a really good one. Um, I don't know. I, I probably... Tiefling. Tiefling. Um, tiefling. Why? Because that's the important Honestly, question there. Cool colors, mm. a tail, horns, you know, a little bit of innate magic. I don't know. Do they just seem. Yeah. And they're all, you know, very charismatic. And I think I, I, you know, would always love to be a little bit more charismatic if I could be. All right. I, I have to ask a specific question because I think one of the coolest things about looking at tiefling arts is the the different depictions of the horns. So what kind of horns are we talking about? Like straight back and long, curved around like goat horns? Uh, I think I, I think I'd like the, you know, the the ones that kind of come back and turn back towards the front. Awesome. Fantastic. Uh, so thanks, John, for that answer. And thanks, Delaney, for that fantastic question. Yeah, that was a great uh, question. Let's jump into our topic uh, today, which is um, I think something that is is very rarely talked about when it comes to fantasy worlds and fantasy campaigns, and that is false religions. So we want we want to talk a little bit about false religions in a fantasy setting. And I think one of the things that you and me were even talking about a little bit before we started recording was it's it's a weird thing that doesn't get talked about that much because in a fantasy world, a lot of the times. The existence of gods is very apparent. 
especially when you come to like campaign worlds where like the gods are actively speaking with mortals, if not just you see the signs of the gods existing everywhere through divine magic of their followers. And so I I know for me, it's not something that I think about too much of like, well, what about the religions out there that aren't real? To kind of start this question off, this topic off of false religions in a fantasy world, where would you even uh, begin with that? In a world where there aren't really agnostics or or atheists walking around because, uh, yeah, duh, gods exist. Where do false religions even get their start? Yeah, yeah, and that was when I was thinking about this. I it actually made me think about the fact that a lot of what I play, I think I've, this be, uh, especially in recent time, kind of moved into settings where they're not as hands-on. Mm-hmm. But in the hands-on settings, I think a lot of it comes down to finding a group that doesn't have, you know, the easy access to maybe seeing some of those things, you know, those small, start with a small community, kind of off the beaten path, start there and almost kind of have to build it out yourself and use that isolation to your advantage. Because mm. once, uh, you know, once somebody comes through and it's like, no, you got Halo, you're talking about this, this guy isn't, isn't real. Yeah. And, you know, you've, and I think, unfortunately, a lot of them go fairly sinister when we come to the false religions, too. There aren't a whole lot of the good ones, because if there's a good God out there, it's pretty easy to be like, oh, no, it's just that. But it's, I think it ends up being more of some evil guy trying to manipulate it. So it's find that group that's separate from everybody and use something to kind of hook them in early. Yeah, because, yeah, I think you're you're definitely... Uh, hitting something that would come into play it, in a in a large city with all these temples uh, to all these gods that uh, their divine magic is coming through uh, by priests and clerics and paladins and whatnot for a false religion uh, to be starting there. There's going to be this constant pushback. Pushback, yeah, and like. People like, what are you talking about? Like, this is real power. This is a real God. Look at what I'm able to do. Uh, and so an isolated community um, is something that I think is a good start. And, you know, you you we've talked about um, the settings where gods are more hands-on and then settings where gods are less hands-on. I think, like you said, the less hands-on, um, the less maybe like blatantly like, oh, yeah, the God appears. These, this God does appear to his people like um, is harder to make those false religions. But at the same time uh, for, yeah, like you said, an isolated community that's worshiping a, a false God um, is you brought up Pelor. Is Pelor like going to appear before every single worship a false God like and go, well, those that's my problem. Or does Pelor or um, Nay rule or whoever the god is, do they just not care? Uh, is that going to be something that's on their radar that they're even going to care about? Exactly. You know, if your gods are that powerful, where maybe they can see everything, but can you really focus on all of those things at once? And I think that, to me, that's kind of how I play some of like the clerics and the paladins of those worlds. Is they are the they're the the mouth and the hand mm-hmm. of those deities on the material plane because it's big and they, you know, 
they got to keep Asmodeus where he is and, you know, all of those other, you know, high level God issues. Yeah. Yeah, I feel like it's actually the mortals, the followers of the gods who will care more about squashing out false religions than the gods uh, themselves. Unless, of course, a false religion starts to really gain traction um, and become something that a god might say, oh, this is a problem now. Yeah, where they, uh, that, that, that deity or soon-to-be deity starts to gain a power that could rival it. Because, I mean, I, I think it comes into how you, where does the god's power come from? Is it just part of the plane? Or is there some power to, you know, getting enough followers? Can you, can a, a being breach that gap and then move into deity type status and, you know, maybe unseat somebody? Yeah, absolutely. I, uh, I also was thinking about this in, in false religion, and I think that it doesn't necessarily even have to be about a god that isn't real. It could be a false sect of a religion, uh, yeah. such as like a, oh, you have this group of Nerul followers or, or the Raven Queen or uh, what, whatever the god of death is, and whereas uh, true True followers might know that oh the, this is a this is an evil god and this is what they um, they stand for. You might have this other side that goes no no yes they're the god of death but um, it is it is a they are good and they are benevolent and uh, death is a release from the pains of this world and might have a false understanding of uh, a real God and thus create a false religion around them or a false understanding of, uh, the God's doctrines. And not to say that ever happens in, in our, in our world, <laughs> in our real world, right. Where there's a there's differences of opinions on faiths and such. But I think that makes a lot of sense that that would happen again in a, in a, fantasy world. And then you, you ask the question of, okay, so does a God see that as a problem? And I would say maybe it depends on the God because some gods, maybe they're just like, I'm still getting prayed to. I'm still gaining power from this. They want to think what they think. That's cool. It's not affecting what I do. Yeah. I mean, those, 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 and those split offs, I think like we we said before, it's going to be the, the rift between the two, the two groups that's going to kind of push back. And unless, yeah, I think unless it really affects the deity's power, they're, they're going to kind of let us handle anything, you know, handling out there's the thought again, you know, the paladins and the clerics, if it starts to get too out of hand, hopefully finding that, you know, a way to stem that. But then you look at it as, you know, you may have just as many on the other side because which side of it is actually accurate. Maybe the God looks at it as well, no, they've got a point there. That is, you know, kind of a good, you know, way to look too. So, you know, you two do your own thing and message, just different way of looking at it. Yeah, no, that, and that's an, that's a really interesting um, point in which you as the DM could take a story because uh, you certainly could from previous campaigns or just even, especially if we're talking about like a D and D established God of course, the players are going to um, go, well, it's the stuff that's written in the official books. That's the true stuff. Yeah. Um, but as the DM, like maybe you're going, ah, no, in my world, Pelor is different. Although the way that Pelor is written about in these books, that's 100% what most of his followers believe. 
But ha- I like the uh, the idea of kind of like being subverting expectations a little. Yeah, and like, and not even not even like being obvious about it. And and as the DM going, uh, you know, hey, above table talk. This is truly what Pelor stands for. But allowing the players to think through that and explore that. And that becomes really interesting if you have a worshiper of that god in the players themselves. And then they're coming across other worshipers of this god that worship this god in a completely different way. And once you start to drop little things in that make them question, but they're still, they still have clerics with divine magic that is like, they're clearly being blessed. They're clearly have approval from my God. So who is right here? Who is wrong here? That's a really interesting role-playing opportunity for one of your players to have with their characters, uh, a very, a crisis of faith kind of um, scenario that they might be really interested in playing through. Yeah. I honestly, I find that the biggest time that religion comes in is when I have one of those players. Like, I don't know if it's just the players that I play with, but the, like, as far as the gods go, they, they're very just kind of not even so much of the lore behind them either. They're just kind of like, all right, they're, they're there. If, you know, if I need to get resurrected, I'm going to find a temple. That's about as so, (laughs) but yeah, having the, I think having a player in there and enjoying that, I think that's, that really adds, especially for characters where you're talking with Edie, that's going to give them a real deep look at kind of views on it too. And I mean, the fun aspect of it being like, oh, maybe I was wrong. Maybe my view needs to change and getting that chance for that character to maybe become a convert to this, you know, what they once thought was a false religion. Mm-hmm. And it's just a, you know, a smaller group or a, a different viewpoint. Yeah, that's a great point because... I think your players and their characters are going to be the difference between a false religion being an interesting tidbit and an adventure hook because you have a, you have a bunch of player characters who worship um, gods that are unrelated to the false religion, or they aren't really, like you said, concerned about worshiping of gods. It's like, Oh yeah, we, we need to resurrect somebody. We need to uh, get rid of this curse. Let's go see a priest. Um, and you introduce a setting with a religion that's false and you might even state to them like, well, what you, your characters know, you know, they're worshiping this God of the moon, but you are very aware that, uh, the moon goddess is this, uh, goddess. And so this doesn't strike you as true. That's something that is going to paint the world and make it more realistic, but for characters who are completely uninterested in in that moon goddess, they're going, oh, interesting. Okay, I might kind of scoff at these, these worshipers, but it's just kind of a backdrop. Whereas if you have in your party, especially multiple worshipers of the true moon goddess, and they come across these false worshipers that are worshiping uh, this false deity um, or a different sect of worship that completely goes against the grain of what they know. I mean, I can't see a player having uh, that presented to them and being like, I'm not that interested. I'm going to walk away. I think like we talked about, they more than even the gods themselves are going to be like, I need to shine a light of truth into this community. This is not okay. What's happening here. 
Yeah, and uh, that that sounds. Now you're now we're talking with having a couple in there. There's also the possibility of there being a few people in that group that are maybe not necessarily followers, but when you go in there, you've now got to convince your group to be on board with like, yeah. no, this is wrong. Where they're not doing overly nefarious, your group may be like, why, why are we bothering these <laughs> yeah, people? We don't like, care that much about this, yeah, yeah, <laughs> or this and, isn't and, your place. <laughs> yeah, and then that that dynamic of no, this is our job to make sure that you know people aren't being misled or whatever. And again, another great role-playing opportunity that that inter-party dynamic of, you know, where they sit on, on how to handle those things. Yeah. So I think, I think basically uh, to come down to it, your players and uh, the types of characters that they're choosing might be the best um, place to start when you're thinking about this. If you do want this to be more than just, an interesting backdrop and you want this to be some sort of adventure hook to get your players interested in following a trail of breadcrumbs. Yeah. So let's, um, let's shift a little bit because we've talked a little bit about how a false religion might get started. Um, but again, the question is how does a false religion continue, uh, to exist? How does it perhaps flourish even we talked about false religions like gaining power gaining momentum how does that happen in a world where we're assuming this false religion um does is not connected to a deity uh that they're they're truly worshiping and is truly giving them power how does it actually have longevity how does it continue to flourish when it is a clear and present false religion according to the lore that you're establishing yeah, um, I think you're definitely still going to have to have some sort of magic involved mm. with the leadership, whether it be, you know, a false divine magic, them using arcane magic, you know, to hide it. But it definitely like, because I feel like a lot of those start with like, oh, this, I was able to stop this bad thing, or, you know, you didn't do this thing and this bad thing happened, having that you have to have something to kind of prove your, your divineness. So that's keeping that going is going to be keeping up that illusion and a lot of secrecy, discretion and knowing, knowing which people you can bring further in and maybe whoever that leader of this group is, you know, keeping your inner circle small. And it feels very much like how a lot of like, Unfortunately, they say like the cult in real world, like how cults do it. You know, you have that small inner group and then a bunch of people who are just kind of fed yeah. little, little bit they're needed to get them to believe and still help out. Yeah, yeah. I think I think you're the way I would tackle it is exact, exactly kind of like how you how you talked about that. Like, well, if if we're talking about isolated community, then it's an isolated community. But if we're talking yeah. about it spreading and more people starting to to believe like in a world filled with magic in a world where uh, the proof of a God's existence beyond the God just appearing and saying, Hey, <laughs> I'm here uh, is the, those who follow that God and the, the powers that flow from them. And certainly in a world where you have arcane magic, uh, when you have, um, something that I think it might be an interesting route to take trickster gods who uh, perhaps they can they can 
gain power from prayers that aren't specifically to them. Perhaps their power comes from intercepting prayers that are going up to a God that doesn't exist or, or a God who isn't listening to those prayers and they're able to gain it despite the fact that it's not their name that is being prayed to. But yeah. whether it's arcane magic whether it's a trickster god giving divine power, uh, power coming from somewhere that gives authority uh, to those who are spreading the false religion, the false faith, the false doctrine. And you can kind of go different ways with that too, right? Like, do the people who are leading this false religion, do they are they truly believers? Or is it a, oh no, like I'm a powerful wizard and... Um, it's a lot easier to get people uh, to follow me and become crazy zealots that will do anything uh, when I am just a conduit for the all-powerful god of blood. And all I need to do is make a lightning strike happen every now and then. Right? Like, my true power is coming from the followers, and every now and then I need to use a little bit of arcane magic to make them understand that, oh, that's an omen. That's a, yeah. and I think, I think we, t we, you talked about a, a tiefling and being charismatic. I think a leader of a false uh, religion, whether they're a true believer or not, like charisma is going to be really a, a, an important aspect to it. Maybe even like a silver tongue to when somebody comes along to say, hey, th this doesn't all add up, guys, to be able to make up something, whether, again, they believe it or not, to, no, 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 this makes perfect sense. Our God is testing us here. Yeah, no, that, I mean, the, the silver tongue is, yeah, any, getting anybody to follow something that's kind of outside of the norm, you're going to need that be to be really glib. And I think with that long, speaking along that longevity and stuff, maybe even trying to do this in multiple places or have multiple people. We're talking about it being a starting it, you know, two areas that are far enough apart, but to kind of give it that opportunity that if maybe if one is squat out, there's still people. And once it, once you get those little areas outside of the city, that's when it starts creeping into the city because there's enough people that, you know, start to believe it, that it's like, no, I mean, I know a whole bunch of people that believe this too. And it's easy to be, you know, like, no, you're the only person that believes that. And if you are, you're probably not going to keep believing, but you got 30 other people, you know, I don't know what you're talking about. Maybe you're wrong. Yeah. Yeah. And, and, you know, we've talked a little bit about, um, the, the settings where the gods are a little bit more hands off. And in that type of setting, like, who is more scary as far as power? Uh, the the more hands-off God who um, really only becomes involved when it's, like, big enough for them to key in on it and go, okay, I got to do something about this. Or uh, is it that wizard who is local to your area and powerful enough to shake things up and they're focusing in on you all the time. Or we're even talking about a fantasy world where uh, you might come across a village that worships the great red worm, which is a red dragon in a mountain. And ma red ancient red dragons, certainly, um, if you are talking about a hands-off god and you're talking about a red dragon who is ruling over a, a community, 
which is going to be more scary, I think, to that community, it's certainly going to be that dragon. And I could definitely see a worship of certain monsters coming into play in false religions as well. And then you oh, introduce yeah. your adventurers who are just like, I mean, that's a dragon. It's scary, but that is no God. Yeah, no, there's um, there's one that I love. It's uh, it's in Eberron and there is a the a cult basically to where they'll they'll have a gibbering Maldar in their basement and that's how they deal with like when people get old you go to the gibbering Maldar mm. so that you're you can live on yeah. within when in reality you're just feeding it to the feeding people to this monster and it's <laughs> whispering to you in your sleep that's fantastic and yeah you can with monsters like you could go through the monster manual i feel like and, and come with all different weird false religions based off of like this people group uh is in contact with this certain monster yeah like and it, it could go from a red dragon who again knows f is fully aware of what's going on and how this red dragon is leading these people to think that it's a god because dragons are smart and then you can have yeah like a situation with a gibbering mouth or down a basement that the gibbering mouther is is getting fed so awesome it's not leaving the basement and the people all around it are like this is our god we worship it we make sacrifices to this god um, and it whispers secrets into our ears we have the secret knowledge exactly that'd be a terrifying false religion community too because i feel like all the different things that the gibbering mouther would be like putting into people's minds like it's just it's just talking about a cult like it would just be like madness Oh yeah. And even I, I remember one campaign that I, uh, I ran and I had this, um, this weird group, uh, of people, uh, that worshiped this archway and they believed that this archway was, uh, the, the way that they entered into the afterlife. And so when somebody was old enough, uh, and ready to move on, uh, they would hold this amazing ceremony and celebrate and uh, they would send uh, this person out uh, into the wilderness that where they would find that archway and they'd walk through it and they'd ascend into the afterlife. Uh, meanwhile, this archway was nothing more than a large mimic who, when people went through it, just devoured them. <laughs> so, of course, bones were gone. Everything was gone. They did go into the afterlife, just not so much in the way people thought, but they truly thought that this was just a blessing. And this monster was like, hey, works for them, works for me. We're, it's this symbiotic uh, relationship uh, that's working great for us. But this false religion came at, uh, from it. And the players, when they came, they, of course, were just like skeptical right off the bat and like an archway that goes to the afterlife. This seems interesting. We've got to figure this out. Yeah. No, I, I want to do, I'd like to do an illithid based false religion where mm. it's a bunch of illithids in disguise going around trying to get people to worship the elder brain mm. who is working towards ascending to godhood. So, you know, going around and you know, illithids can take care, you know, have no problem taking care of people, you know, throw an intellect of R in there, start yeah. taking over some people within the city. And it's like, yeah, no, I, I saw the light. That that's a like that's an interesting brings up an interesting aspect of like we're talking about like DMs with their homebrew worlds and their homebrew lore. Um, I guess the question that I would follow up your your idea there would be 
well, what does it take for a, is there a way for someone or something that isn't a God, is there a way for them to ascend to Godhood? And if there is, like, is that tied in with prayer? Like, uh, there, there's all these things, um, stories in folklore of, um, creatures that exist sheerly from the mass belief in them that uh, if oh, enough yeah, like tulpas and stuff. Yeah. If enough people believe in it, it manifests and becomes a reality. Could that be something that works within a false religion of like somebody creates, you've got that mad wizard or, or you have these zealots who they understand this is a false religion, but they also are seeking a goal of if we can get enough followers, this falsehood will become truth. We will ascend to a, to status of a God or the thing that we want to become God status, like the elder brain or that red dragon that it literally could become real, which does make it more of a danger when you come to your PC is coming across this. If there is a nefarious uh, background to this, uh, to this false religion that, Oh gosh, we don't want this to become real and it's gaining traction and the more prayers that are being offered up to this false god, the more this thing or person that's getting prayed to is gaining power. Yeah, I, I definitely, that's, I, I think, especially with that thing, that's how I would, would do that. And it's, I feel like, yeah, there, there's, cause there's always that aspect of like, where do the, where does the god's power come from? And I, I do, I like the idea of it being very tied to, the belief based in them and it may not necessarily be you know that super need that super devout stuff but you know you pray to the goddess of luck when you know you're having a bad day or you know you know to whatever god depending on you know those situations especially in these you know where they're where they're polytheistic um yeah the the idea of getting enough people behind somebody giving that spark of divinity i you know I've always found that to be a, a fun way to go about it. Yeah. Yeah. So kind of speaking uh, about that, do we have any other um, ideas for adventure hooks that involve false religions? Uh, just kind of going off of things that we've brought up already uh, that uh, we think would be fun ideas for DMs out there if they'd like to use. I had one and it's, I think we've touched on it a little bit, but you know, you run into this small town they ask the adventurers for, you know, to go get, you know, this sage that's deep in the woods because it's dangerous they need for a specific ritual. Nothing, you know, obvious to the, to the people. It's like, oh, you know, they, they, you know. This is a menial task from, yeah. Yeah. And then it's, it's definitely, it's kind of predicated on it's something you, you'll come back to, but you come back to this village again and, you know, a few people that you met are just, not there and you know when you ask about it you get kind of dodgy answers and you know there's something whatever it is that they are praying to is you know whether it be eating or you know taking over these people and you know but that that very those those light hints to it so it almost you know you could walk right past and be like oh yeah i just fell out and now we're going up on our way lo and behold we just helped out with you know the autumn sacrifice for the good harvest and then you come back and it's like, where'd that farmer go? That was really nice mm. to us. <laughs> oh, he went to the, the, the old grove. Yeah. Yeah. And that, I feel like that's a great, 
uh, point in all this is like, how do these people that you interact with, how do they relay things also to outsiders? Um, are they just completely like upfront about, oh yes, here's what we believe and here's what's happened. Or is it more of a, like, they're, they're going to withhold. <laughs> a, a note I had on the longevity was like a, especially for like a, I don't want to say like a metagame aspect, but for, for your play, giving them, they worship something with like a vague name, like the, the nature mother mm. or, you know, something that's not, that could be taken as like maybe a another variation of a god's name you know what i mean yeah you might you might not be thrown off by it when your characters first hear them say that yeah um they might just yeah so oh that must be another name for oladamars or whoever the god is that's being um spoken about but certainly that um that could also be the first hints that you're giving uh, to the PCs. Yeah. And I find that that's always such a, like, that's such a tenuous spot sometimes with PCs. Cause it's like, well, they seem a little bit suspicious. I want to know exactly what's going on. Or other times like, Oh no, you're, you're fine. Just yep. go on your way. It's <laughs> how, how paranoid are they going to be when they get into this village? Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Um, yeah. I think for me, when we're coming to the topic of like false religion adventure hooks, I think I'd, I'd say there's two, really obvious ways you can go with it. You can have the adventure hook like we talked about early on where um, especially if you're basing it off of the god or goddess or gods that your PCs worship, um, bringing them to a place where the obvious adventure hook is, hey guys, reveal the truth. <laughs> like you you clearly know this is a false religion and you you probably, especially if it is, tied into your PCs that are playing in your campaign, you're not even going to need to spell it out for them and be like, okay, guys, the job is to reveal it. Like they're just going to grab onto that immediately and say, we need to figure out what's going on here. And then just be ready to understand how that false religion has come into power. Who's behind it. Do, is it a group of complete like buy-ins that they all believe it? Or is there somebody pulling the strings? Is that, where's the power coming from? If there is power, uh, just be ready for that once the players decide it's time to reveal the truth and dive in. Yeah. Um, and then the other the other thing that I thought would be interesting if you want to go with false religions is if especially if we're talking about isolated community that has especially if they haven't been exposed to magic. You could have a false religion start based off of your PCs, because when your oh. level 18 wizard comes uh, into this isolated uh, civilization and he's able to uh, cast these amazing magical spells, especially if they're spells that can help uh, people with the problems that they're facing and that they've been facing for a long time, you might have all of a sudden the situation where they're all bowing before you and worshiping you and I don't know. I know way too many players that might go along with that and create a false religion just from that. And how how interesting would that be if that was even at the end of a campaign and then you bring that back into another campaign where other adventurers come along to this civilization and they've already, they've erected statues to uh, their god who uh, is an old PC called Mort the Magician. 
And they yeah. all worship Morton. Very Jane, hero of Canton type story. <laughs> yes, exactly. I feel like that would that'd be a, a fun thing for your PCs and then something that you could certainly bring back in the future. And you could always all you can really uh I think uh go all different dystopian directions of what happens when that when that human character dies uh yeah. and the civilization continues to worship that character <laughs> as a god. Oh man, that God, I didn't even think of that. That's an awesome one. That is that is something that I definitely would wouldn't mind playing with. <laughs> I'm sure I'm sure most PCs wouldn't mind players wouldn't mind that as well. So let's uh let's let's jump into homework here. Uh any any um books, movies, podcasts, uh, anything that um John you have that if players want to dive into something that inspires them to um, create some false religions and adventure hooks in their world that would be good inspiration. Reading up on some of the, you know, some of the different religions, whether, you know, especially with the, you know, with having Patheons, having a little bit of, you know, knowledge of like Greek and Roman mythology, getting a feel for kind of how some of those gods would work um, can kind of give you a feel. Um Touching on different types of fantasy help too, just so you're getting kind of a, an idea of how different levels deities are getting involved, like the Dragon's books, you know, the gods really aren't very big. And, you know, stuff in Faerun, completely the opposite. They're, you know, a bit more hands-on. Um, sometimes I, you know, I'm a big Monty Python fan, so some of that stuff, <laughs> you know, it, it can can give you some interesting looks on how they how people can look at you know maybe corner cases for some of these more offshoot religions and things like that. yeah those are great um i think uh for me i the one the one movie that came up while we were even talking about it is the movie uh the village i think that that's a good oh, yeah. a good movie to look at of isolated community that has their their beliefs. Um, check out that movie. Gain some inspiration um, from that, and even that gets into like the what happens when those from the isolated community meet those from outside. Um, yeah, and and you could certainly gain some inspiration and go, okay, how would this work in a D and D world where magic is real and everything, and um, get some really good ideas uh, from that. Uh, and then the other thing I thought of was uh, just an, as an exercise, like, again, false religion doesn't necessarily need to be based off of a completely false god. It could be a false set of beliefs and doctrine off of an already existing god. So you can go check out already existing gods, whether it's gods that you have created for your homebrew world or gods that you're using from official D&D um, books and go, okay. What what false doctrines and what like might some be worshiping uh, this God um, in a way that is very different and some might say blasphemous <laughs> uh, to the actual worship of this God? And how does that community exist and where does their power come from? Again, is it a trickster God? Is it the actual God? And they're just like, eh, I'm getting worship, whatever. It doesn't bother me. I think that's going to very much depend on which God, right? Because yeah. uh, certainly a lot of the good gods are not going to be like, yeah, I'm going to let that slide. Like, I'm, I'll give you whatever uh, powers you want. Um, but yeah, where does that come from? And just pick out some gods and say, okay, false religion based off of a real God. How does that look? 
I think that'd be an interesting exercise for us DMs to do. Yeah, definitely. So, John, thanks again uh, for for joining us a second time, uh, this time really to be heard uh, by our listeners out there. Um, Again, I want to point our listeners to um, check out Charisma20.com for the soap and other awesome um, hygiene products that you make uh, for geeks and gamers. Um, And also uh, make sure that they go check out Heretical Heroes on Twitch. Um, anything else, uh, for us to check out before anywhere that our listeners can, can follow you or reach out to you. Um, if they've got questions for you about any of this or false religions or anything. Yeah. Um, mostly as far as social media goes, Twitter, um, it's at Savage GM, um, the charisma twenties on Twitter and Instagram too, but my Twitter is probably going to be the best way if you're looking to reach out to me directly. Fantastic. Well, thanks, John, for joining us on the show, for joining me in this fantastic conversation. Um, And we will hopefully have you back on sometime soon, but not because of technical difficulties. (laughs) Sounds great. Thanks again. I want to thank John Savage once again for joining me on this episode to talk about false religions. I hope that you, our listeners, enjoyed this episode, enjoyed the discussion we had, and as always, got some inspiration for your homebrew games. If you'd like to write into us and tell us about a false religion that you introduced to your homebrew game, or maybe that now you're inspired to introduce to your game, write into us. You can send us an email to dungeonmasterblock at gmail.com. And if you liked this episode or previous or future episodes, feel free to head to your podcatcher app of choice and leave us a five-star review. It's really helpful to help spread the word and get other people to be able to enjoy the show. You can follow us on Twitter at DMS underscore block. That's at DMS block. And you can like our Facebook page. Both of those places are great places to go for updates about the show. We have a Patreon member shout-out of the week, and this week's Patreon member shout-out goes to... Best Molly! Best Molly is a silver dragon. Thanks so much for your support of this show and all the other Block Party Podcast Network shows. It helps out more than you could ever know. And speaking of Block Party Podcast Network... The Dungeon Masters Block is a proud member of the Block Party Podcast Network. Check out our other shows like Geek Wars, Detentions and Dragons, Dungeons and Dragons and Daughters, and more. Well, that's all we have for you on this episode of the Dungeon Masters Block, the place where we come to talk about the Dungeon Master, the most important person in the game, the only person capable of playing God, healing characters, and lowering the egos of all other people at the table. I'm your host, Dungeon Master Mitch, reminding you to always keep on Dungeon Mastering.
Goodbye.